Good morning. My name is Brian Sorgan Fry, one of the pastors. Really glad you're here. Uh, you made a little bit different. It's a long passage, so I'm actually uh, going to read uh, the sections when we get to the points. So um, if you have a Bible, it'll probably be helpful. Uh, there's a Pew Bible, page 251, 252. I can't remember if the words are coming up here. Um, look, I, this morning, I think you'll realize uh, one of the reasons that we try to teach through books of the Bible is so that God's word sets the agenda and not our preferences. Uh, because this is, this is a disturbing text. And really even next week, Les is going to do some of this. That is, it's, it's disturbing. Like you'll see David has multiple wives. Uh, you'll see wives and uh, children are kidnapped. And then he comes in and unmercifully destroys these people. Um, and it's just one of those passages. I think somebody agrees. You say, well, you know, I just, I'll go read the gospels, I guess. Um, but it is God's word. And remember, like our theme is the, in the life of David is on the one hand, he is a man after God's own heart. And so there are ways that he is showing us what a godly heart looks like on display. And you'll see that some here. But mainly David is showing us what King Jesus is like. He is showing us a king that is so good and righteous that if we know him, we can live in security. And so before I read the first section, I really, I want you to think about a movie. It was called Taken by Liam Neeson. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all seen it. You'll have to see it to follow this. Liam Neeson was uh, former special forces uh, in this movie and then went to work with CIA. And his daughter had, has gone on vacation in Europe and she gets taken. She gets kidnapped and is going to be sold into uh, the traffic industry. But she's on the phone with her dad when she's taken. So he has a chance to talk to her kidnapper. And here's what he says. He says, I have a very particular set of skills, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. He says, if you let my daughter go, that'll be the end of it. I won't come after you. But then he says this, but if you don't, I will come after you. I will find you and I will kill you. And the rest of this movie really is watching this man hunt down and destroy any kind of evil that gets in the way of his daughter. Not because he enjoys it, but because he loves his daughter. And as you're watching, there is a sense of beauty because you know if you, if you love something, it means destroying the evil that is inhabiting it, not rolling your eyes at it in apathy. And so much of this chapter really is that we're going to read. It is, king, it is David as king, not like us, as king, bringing salvation, rescuing people, and showing us what King Jesus is like. And so my prayer is that the Holy Spirit really would open our eyes that we can see the beauty of King Jesus even in this passage. So three things. We're going to look at the distress of David, and then we're going to look at the rescue that he brings and the generosity, Okay. The distress, the rescue, the generosity. First, the distress. Here's verses one through eight. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Malachites had made a raid against the Negeb and against the Ziklag. They'd overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. 
And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I'm actually going to stop there. All right, we're dropping into the middle of David's life at a time when things have somehow gotten even worse from last week. This is the bottom of the barrel of David's life before he will be recognized fully as king by Israel. He is on the run from Saul, who's been trying to kill him. He has found himself so desperate, he's living among the Philistines, who are his enemy. He's had to uh, deceive, manipulate. He has a band of uh, kind of 600 men with him, but it is bad. And you think things can't get any worse until they return back to their nomadic town that they've been living in. And when they return, the bottom drops out because their nomadic town has been ransacked and burned and all their wives, all the people's wives and all their children have been taken captive, probably with the intent of selling them into slavery. That is where this chapter finds us. That's the scene that David stumbles upon. And it is so bad that it says David and all the people weep and wail until they have no more strength. I don't know what exactly what that means, but it is a place of despair. And then to add one more bit of bad news, even David's own men who have been with him, they're finally done. They're so angry, they decide to stone David. That's where we meet David this morning, this desperate, this much distress. It, it is the, the low point of his life uh, before he's gonna be recognized as king by everyone. And so I'm pulling for Brian Habig there. I want you to feel that because... When you hear despair or distress, I know I'm only 41, but still, as I get older, I realize there's a real challenge. And the challenge is more and more despair. That, and I'm talking about Christians who love Jesus, who, who know their Bibles, there can sometimes be the just overwhelming feeling of despair that I'm tired, I don't feel good, my energy is down, I used to have these grand ideas of how I was going to change the world. And now I just kind of want to make it to the end of the day and somehow be faithful. Uh, and the temptation is to be cynical and to try to finish the day without hurting somebody or someone disappointing me. I hope that's not depressing to you college students. They're all good things as well. But that is, sometimes it just feels like I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of bad news. And we get tempted towards cynicism and, and bitterness. And in verse six, what David does in that moment is this, it says he strengthens himself in the Lord. Strengthens himself in the Lord. And that little phrase is what turns it. That from here on out, David is back in a trajectory until he becomes king. And this is where David shows us what a godly heart looks like. What we absolutely should be like is he strengthens himself in the Lord. What does that mean? Strengthening yourself in the Lord means reminding yourself of the character of God and believing his promises. And the reason we know that's true is early in chapter 23, that the same thing happens when he is in distress and despair and his friend Jonathan comes and it says, Jonathan strengthened him by his hand in the Lord. And what that means is he tells David the promises back to him. He looks at David and says, God has promised you're going to be king. And as he repeats God's promise and God's character back to David, David gets strengthened. The same thing is happening here because there is something real going around David. It's awful. The awful reality is his wives and his kids have been taken captive. His own friends are now ready to, st to stone him. That is real. And the other reality is God's presence, God's character, 
and God's promises. And how he strengthens himself is he brings God's character and God's promises into the situation so that it speaks louder than the real circumstances around him. So it can work like this. Let's say, um, let's say you discovered uh, that you were allergic to chocolate, which would be a horrible day, right? So now if I was to eat that wonderful substance, my, my body would respond like it's a disease and it might actually kill me. So you know that reality and you go to Chili's, and you want to end with a, a, a chocolate, uh, you know, molten lava cake that it's amazing. And it comes out, your wife orders it, you know, you can't have it. And as you start looking at it, the reality is it would taste so good. It'd be so satisfying. But the way that you strengthen yourself is the reality of what the doctors told me, that if I eat this, it will destroy me. And you have to bring that reality to overwhelm how I'm feeling, Right. This is what David is doing and showing us what to do. That when we're distressed, when we're in desperate situations, we have to trust. We have to try to trust God's character and promises and bring that reality into these other circumstances that are real. And that's my question. Where do you turn in places of despair? Do you turn to God's character and to his promises or do you turn somewhere else? Because despair will, will show you where you turn for security. And so often what we do is we turn to ourselves, right? If there's failure or there's, or there's suffering going on, we beat ourselves up and we say things like, well, I have it bad, but I don't have it as bad as that person. Why am I so sad? And that is a way of actually never turning to the Lord, but actually choosing independence, turning to shame or in places of failure, instead of confessing my sin and turning to the character of God and to his goodness, we'll cover up, We'll kind of be defensive and we'll just figure out a plan next week that I'll never do this again. And you will not be strengthened in that. And so David actually shows us the way that when you find yourself in distress and places of despair, the way to be strengthened is to look away from yourself to God's character and to his promises. And by his spirit, those get brought into the reality that then speak to the real circumstances that I'm in. And that actually begins to affect you at a heart level. Has that ever happened to you? Do the promises of God revealed in his word ever affect you at a heart level that it changes you amidst circumstances without the circumstances changing? So that's first. You see this demonstration that uh, David has to show us in distress how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. But then he's going to do two things. And he's going to do two things as an anointed king that I, I want to propose to you that the two things that David d does show us the character of King Jesus and how we should strengthen ourselves with the truth of Jesus and what, and what David does. And so next you see, him, you see him bring the rescue. I'm going to pick up in verse 7 here. Uh, uh, verse 8. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered them, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Basor, where, the, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued it, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Basor. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad all over all the land. That's the Amalekites. Sorry, I skipped down to verse 16. Sorry. Eating and drinking and dancing because all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. 
David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. So David inquires of the Lord. He actually puts on this ephod, which is a priestly garment to come into the presence of the Lord and asks the Lord what he should do. And the Lord guarantees to give the band of raiders the Malachites over David. So David takes all his men and they go and they find their wives and children's captors, the Malachites. And then it says they twilight until the end of the day, they slaughter and strike down every single one of the raiders, except for 400 young men who, who, who fled. And in verse 18, 19, it says, David recovered all, I love this, that the Malachites had taken. A full recovery of everything that was taken captive, David wins back. Honestly, what do we do with this? Because on the one hand, this is disturbing. It seems over the top that David does not leave a single person alive that he gets his hands on. And I don't think you've been honest if you don't read this and it's, it's tough to stomach. Like what happened to Christianity being a religion of love? And so, and it's not the first and the only time this happens. And so I want to stop for a few minutes and talk about the principle. You might've called it holy war. You might've called it devoting things to destruction. Les talked about this, I think in the beginning of our series, but we got to come back. I do want you to resist the urge to downplay what happens. It won't help you. I want you to see that David is an anointed king and that's important. And therefore he is the instrument of God's justice and purity. And so what happens is God, David follows a clear command from God to wipe out the Malachites. It actually starts in Genesis 15. God promises to Abraham that he's going to give him this land in Canaan, which is where the Malachites are. And he says, but not yet, because their sin is not yet full. Very interesting. So he says, I'm going to give it to you, but not yet. And so for, I think, something like 400 more years, more and more sin builds up in this land with the Malachites and others. And it is stories of child sacrifice, of abuse of elderly, of kidnapping people, of, uh, of, of uh, abuse against the poor. All this is going on. And, and the Lord is waiting hundreds of hundreds of years to repent and they, they will not. And so now God is saying it is time. It's time to bring judgment. And actually Saul has a chance in, in, in 1 Samuel 15 and he doesn't, doesn't devote them to destruction and so he fails. And David is succeeding where Saul, Saul fails. And so the wait is over and the judgment of this particular group of people is here because only God knows what, fully what we deserve and justice looks like. And in the same way that God could use a flood back in Genesis, he brings judgment on the wickedness of the Malachites and the rest of the Canaanites by way of these, of these kings and judges, honestly, back in judges. So here's what I want you to consider, though. I don't know how that sits with you, and that's okay. But I do want you to consider that the reason there is judgment is actually because God is loving. The God of the Bible is absolutely pure love, and therefore he judges and destroys all evil. In the same way that a surgeon will not hesitate to amputate a leg if he has to, because there's a disease that'll affect the rest of the body. God so loves the world and his people that he will destroy the sin and evil so it will not destroy and infect his whole world. Sin and rebellion, it's like cancer. 
And if you don't destroy it, it will destroy you. And so like a loving surgeon, God eventually eradicates the cancer of sin to protect and love his world and people. And so David's actions here, they are not prescriptive for us. They are not prescriptive for us. They are unique to David because he's an anointed king. And it's a picture of Jesus, the good and righteous king who has all judgment in his hands and who promises one day all wickedness and evil will be wiped out forever. So I want you to consider that that the justice of Jesus is actually something we're supposed to strengthen ourselves with. That that is a part of his character, that is part of his promises that's supposed to strengthen us in places of despair. Because if you're really grieved over the, over, over the sin in this world of awful things that have been done to you or to other people, you need to know that God is a God that sees it and, and will do something about it. A friend of mine, when his wife, before uh, she was married, uh, she was in college involved in RUF. There's a big plug. Um, go talk to Austin Brash. Um, and she was like a junior or something and was an RA in a freshman dorm. And so, right, she had responsibility for her floor and she found out uh, that, uh, that night that a freshman named Natalie, her dad had died. And so, right, they come tell the RA and by the time she gets to the room, all these other friends are there uh, clearly crying with her as they should. And um, uh, my friend's wife sticks around the longest. When everybody else leaves, Natalie looks at, um, looks at my friend's wife and says, all these people keep telling me that it's going to be okay because my dad is in heaven. Is my dad in heaven? And she, honestly, by God's spirit, had the courage to say, well, did your dad love Jesus? And she said, no. So this big lump got in her throat and she said, well, I'm not the judge, but the Bible says if your dad did not love Jesus, he will not be with him for eternity. And she hugged her and stayed with her. Fast forward a couple years later, that girl gets converted. And part of her story was this. Her dad was an evil man and had done horrible things to her. And she had made a decision that night that if her dad was in heaven, then Christianity was useless. But when she heard that the God of this universe actually sees it and does something about it, she began to trust that God. And we know this. We know a God that is apathetic towards evil, that will not protect the innocent, is useless for us to worship. And there will be no strengthening in your places of desperation unless you know that aspect of God. King Jesus is powerful and he is a rescuer and he hates evil and he's going to destroy it all until he makes a complete and total recovery of all that sin has infected. And if he is just apathetic and impotent in the face of evil and sin, it's worthless. And so I'm asking to see that, that God hates and is more grieved over the sin in this world and what's done to you than you are. He's enraged by it. And if you're a victim of that, hear me, you will never be able to live lovingly and forgivingly and courageously in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in a broken and sinful world until you strengthen yourself with the character of God's loving justice that he sees it all and he will, he will deal with it. That is how David shows us the king who is Jesus. Can you strengthen yourself with God's justice? But then also, you see that he's incredibly generous. Starting in verse 21, look at this. Then David came to 200 men 
who had been too exhausted to follow David. Remember those 200 were left back at the brook? Who had been left at the brook baser and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among them who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He's preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be uh, who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statue and a rule of Israel from that day forward to this day. This is awesome. David comes back to town with only 400 of his men, victorious in battle. They have, they have, they have uh, fought all day and night. And then they, they get back to where they left 200 men that were so exhausted they couldn't move on. And they, so, so they stayed with their baggage. So imagine the scene, right? Those 200 people are seeing their wives and kids for the first time. They run, they hug them. And the people, the people who did fight, right? Remember, they're coming back with all these spoils, all these riches that they took from the Malachites. What they say is, okay, those 200 people that didn't fight, they can have their wives and children, but all this other stuff is ours because we did the fighting. They didn't do anything. And look at David's response to the anointed king. He says, no. You shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. He decrees that everything gets shared equally. Everything that they got, got distributed freely and richly to everyone. Which means the guy who laid by the brook so exhausted, he just had to sit by the baggage, got the same reward as the people who fought day and night risking their life. And what I want you to see about the the character of King David that's pointing us to Jesus is this. He does not operate on the principle of merit. He operates on grace. He does not give according to how hard people worked or what they earned. He gives freely and shares freely because all that matters is whose side that you're on. It didn't matter how much you did. All that mattered is who was your king. And so on the one hand, it's amazing. You see this king who is fierce in the face of evil and at the same time, he is tender and gracious and shares freely with all those who are his. David is showing you the character of a king that you can trust. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing how to strengthen yourself with both God's justice and his grace? That David is showing us a king who is fierce to conquer evil, fierce to defend his people, and overflowing with generosity. He's a king who powerfully destroys evil and is full of abundant grace. That is the only kind of king that will meet us in our distressful and despairing circumstances. You have to have both. Why? Because God's character and promise to destroy all evil, if you know yourself at all, that is scary. Because if King Jesus is going to destroy and get rid of all darkness and evil and sin, and I realize that, uh uh-oh, that means I'm I'm in trouble. Because some of the reason that there's darkness in this world is because I am in it. Some of the brokenness in my family is because I'm the dad and the husband in my family. Some of the things with your friends, the things that are harder, because you're in that friend group. We have contributed to the darkness of this world. And if God's loving and just character promises to punish and conquer all evil, that is terrifying. But look at David. 
those who are on his side, those who are on his side, they do not get treated according to merit. David gives freely. And when you see that King Jesus is altogether lovely because he's full of truth and grace, it actually becomes a thrilling comfort. This is a foretaste of Jesus, right? Because what we know is you follow the storyline of scripture, you know this, that God hates evil so much that he sent his son into the world to destroy the works of evil. He says that. And one day he's going to return and it is finally gonna purify the world and heaven and earth will reunite and there'll be no more death, no more sin, no more sorrow. And that really does mean if you have not received his grace, when he returns, you will be cast out forever in eternal judgment as well. And that is not easy to say, but it is loving. And God, the father sent his son, not only destroyed the works of evil. Here's the other thing. He sent his son into the world because he loved the world and he loved his people so much. He makes a way to destroy all evil without destroying you and me. You know how he does it? He goes to a cross. And he, on the cross, God the Father strikes Jesus down. He devotes Jesus to destruction. Or if you say, holy war on Jesus. So that, why? So that not a single one of Jesus will be lost. He'll get it all back. Jesus is not dying for general people out there. He's winning back his. Not because you and I are worthy, but because he's faithful and he's full of grace. And now because of God's grace, God's anger, God's wrath goes out on Jesus. And by faith, if you trust him, you are on his side and you get a smile and you get all the riches that Jesus deserves. And so I'll end with this. Remember Liam Neeson, right? I have a particular set of skills that make me a nightmare for people like you and I'm coming and I'm gonna destroy it. I want, you to, I want to strengthen you with that picture. That is King Jesus, who in loving, perfect anger, looks at the sin in our life, the way that we hurt other people, the way that sin and suffering is destroying this world. And he says, I'm not apathetic. I'm loving and I'm coming. I'm getting rid of all those kind of ways. I'm gonna restore everything that sin has broken. And we just gotta see that because some of us, we have a wimpy Jesus. We do. And a wimpy Jesus will not comfort you if you have scars. Some of you have scars of being horribly sinned against. Others have you have scars of, from, being, uh, from sinning against others. And there's a lot of regret. And if, if, if King Jesus is wimpy in the face of evil and if he's not gracious, then there is no comfort because those scars are real. But King Jesus is immensely powerful and immensely gracious. So in the face of great damage, he can heal you. He can restore you. He can break your addictions. He can and does clean, forgive and bring new life. He is that powerful. And we're being called to strengthen ourselves with that. And other others that just look at our life and, and think, I've done so little for Jesus. I mess up everything that I touch. I'm trying, but it, I'm a complete failure. When you feel desperate like that, strengthen yourself with Jesus says, I operate on grace and not merit. He loves you. He's so delighted that you're his. This is my ending appeal. This is your only comfort, I would suggest. A God of love, a God of love who cannot do anything about evil is worthless. A God of love who can do something about evil but chooses not to, selfish. 
You need a God of white hot love for his people that he's driven so much that he will consume every evil that opposes his people, even if it's within us. And he has such white hot love for his people that he takes it on himself on a cross that he can cover you with his grace and so you'll be with him forever. The promises of God are that he will judge and destroy all evil, but he's a God of immense grace that has made a way for us to be in him and be spared of it and receive his love. Do you have anything, anything in your life that is close to that? That somehow a text that is full of violence in his heart is actually an invitation to the gracious character of Jesus. I don't care if you're lost, if you're skeptical, or if you are a strong believer or beat down, I'm saying strengthen yourself with this, that Jesus is the forever king, full of justice and full of grace. And you can come to him this morning. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for, uh, by your spirit, enlightening the eyes of our heart to see and uh, receive things that um, are not easy to talk about. But anything that's a reflection of your character is good and we need And so would you help us, whether we have been scarred or whether we've scarred others or wherever we find ourselves in that spectrum, that you would help us to look by faith and see a gracious and kind and just king that is for us. In Jesus' name, amen.